Do you feel like things are moving very quick in our day? Like things are constantly changing? I mean, I know when I pull up the, the, the Safari on my iPhone and I go to a news site, you know what there's always at the top of every news site I'll check out? Breaking news. There's always some, some breaking news. Things always seem to be shifting and moving like we're living on uh, shifting sand. Things are moving very quick in our day. And I remember that when I was commuting uh, back and forth to, from Knoxville to Johnson City uh, 15 years ago doing my seminary degree, the person I was staying with always had Fox News on. And you know what I would always see as he was watching Fox News? Every half hour, there was a breaking news update. Always. There was always breaking news. So much so that breaking news just became regular news. Like, there's really nothing breaking about it. It's just regular news, and we call it breaking and put some you know, fancy banner at the bottom uh, with some type of fancy music, and then we make it sound important. But things seem to be moving very quick. And I know that in, even in this period of COVID-19, it seems like there's been a lot of things moving and changing and shifting. And recently, I was doing some work studying around the area of critical race theory, uh, particularly as it relates to some of the things going on in our world, as it relates to Black Lives Matter and protests and white privilege and white fragility, just trying to get my hands around some of that. And how that might relate to the church. And I stepped onto an article I, I, um, that, of a British scholar who also is a pastor in London. He wrote an article dealing with this topic of race and the church. And at the front of that article, he described how fast things are changing, even in our, this last decade. And there was a paragraph, it's a little longer paragraph, and when I read it, I thought, I didn't realize all those things were moving and changing in such a short period of time. I mean, it wasn't just, I felt like things were moving really quick. I mean, literally, things were changing quick. I want to read to you that introduction paragraph, that introductory paragraph in that article. It's a little bit longer, but go with me. This is the introduction to the introduction of the sermon. Here it is. This is the paragraph. Standing at the end of the decade, that's in 2020, standing at the end of this decade, we can already see how much things changed in the three central years. So just take 2014 to 2016. The first same-sex marriages in the UK and then the US following the decision of Oberfell versus Hodges. The sudden switch from gay rights to trans rights embodied literally by the appearance of Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner on the front page of Vogue and fueled by boycotts and policy announcements about mixed-sex bathrooms. Then you have the killings of Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner, the Ferguson riots and Black Lives Matter, the collapse of Syria and the migrant crisis of 2015, the election of Donald Trump, the sudden emergence of safe spaces on university campuses, alongside a spike in references to trigger warnings, secondary trauma, cancellation, call-out culture, and no platforming, and the accompanying rise in temperature whenever these issues are spoken about. Like, that's just not a feeling that things are changing. That's a literal shift in social, cultural, political norms. Things literally have shifted very quick, faster than they usually will shift in our world. 
Well, today's Homecoming Sunday, so this is where we're celebrating 73 years of East 10th Street Church, 73 years. And when I came across this paragraph describing how fast and substantial things have changed, even in in those years between 2014 and 2016, I thought what a contrast between the rapid change of those three years and the anchor and stability and rootedness of this church. Since 1960, this church has only had three pastors. And I've only been here 18 months, and I'm one of the three. That is stability. That is a testimony to rootedness. That is a place that has an anchor. And so as I think about all the things that have happened even between 2014 and 2016, and then I think about how rooted this church has been, that's the lesson I want us to grab this morning. I want us to talk about stability. Stability. I want to talk about being a steady presence in a community. I want to talk about being anchored. Now, I, I plan to do a lot of homecoming messages over the years. And every year there will be some theme that I'll pick up on. But in a world where things seem to be moving so quick and every day there's something else changing, I want to talk about being anchored. What does that look like? So that's my introduction to the introduction. So let's now go to the introduction, that we can finally get us to the sermon. So when I begin to think about 73 years of history, I wonder in the middle and in the midst of this church and all of its stability, what else was going on over those 73 years? So I want to take a bit of a longer tour through U.S. history. And I want to start looking at some historical highlights since 1947 when this church was founded. And so we're just going to take a look. And I want you to feel, not only just see, but feel all the change that has happened in this country. And you'll notice some things in this town since 1947. Okay? Here we go. 1947. When Miss Pugh started this church, you know what else was established? The CIA. I have it on good authority. That's my authority. I just did a survey in my head. Nine out of ten people in my head right now say Miss Pugh might have had something to do with that. CIA, church, I don't know. All right, that's a bad joke. We won't do that one again. Just someone remind me. Next year, no jokes about Miss Pugh and the CIA or anything related to that. All right, let's continue. 1948, that 1948, the Soviets began their blockage of Berlin in the first major crisis of the Cold War. Then from 1950 to 1953, you had the Korean War. Then from 1950 to 75, you had the Vietnam War. That's starting the Vietnam War when military advisors were sent in. 35 military advisors in 1950. That's where we're marking the start of that conflict. 1951, President Truman speaks in the first coast-to-coast live television broadcast. First live coast-to-coast broadcast, 1951. A lot has changed since 1951. 1952, Puerto Rico becomes a U.S. commonwealth. Then, in 1954, Brown versus Board of Education declares that racial segregation in schools is unconstitutional. 1959, Alaska becomes the 49th state and Hawaii the 50th. 1962, John Glenn becomes the first U.S. astronaut to orbit the Earth. And then, in that same year, you had the Cuban Missile Crisis. 1963, President Kennedy is assassinated. Then, in 1964, President Johnson signs the Civil Rights Act. Then, in 1968... Martin Luther King Jr. and Senator Robert F. Kennedy are assassinated. 
Keep going, 1969, astronauts Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin, oh, they become the first men to land on the moon. Then in 1972, Nixon makes his historic visit to communist China. And five men that same year are caught breaking into the Democratic headquarters at the Watergate complex in Washington, D.C. And you know how that story plays out. Then in 1973, you have the Roe versus Wade decision. And then vice, that same year, Vice President Spear Agnew resigns. We jump to 1979, the Iranian students storm the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, and they hold 66 people hostage. 1981, President Reagan is shot in the chest, and Sandra Day O'Connor that same year becomes the first woman Supreme Court justice. 1987, President Reagan challenges the Soviet leader Miguel Gorbachev uh, to, or Gorbachev, to what? Tear down this wall. You remember that? 1991, you have the Persian Gulf War. Then in 1992, President Bush and Russian President Boris Yeltsin, they formally declare the end to the Cold War. And then the year after that, 1993, the, a bomb explodes in the basement of the garage of the World Trade Center. Then, local history, from around 1995 to 2005, you have the closing of mills in Roanoke Rapids, leaving one major mill left, right? The paper mill. That's a substantial, substantial hit to this town. Then, 1995, you have the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma. And then, also in that same year, you had the budget standoff between President Clinton and Congress, which resulted in a partial shutdown of the U.S. government. 1995. Then, 1998, you have the impeachment of President Clinton on charges of perjury and obstruction of justice. Then, in 1999, you have a school shooting, the school shooting at Columbine High School. In 2000, you have a month, over a month-long legal fight between Al Gore and George W. Bush contesting the presidential election results. You remember that? I forgot about that until I did this. I mean, we may get, we may get some problems in the aftermath of this election. But let's remember <laughs> that we have been here before. All right. And then in 2001, you had the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center Pentagon in Flight 93. And just a few months before that happened, you had Steve Jobs standing on stage introducing the iPod. 2001, the iPod is introduced. We're not even 20 years out with the iPod. Then in 2003, you had the war in Iraq. Uh, it begins. The war in Iraq begins. And in 2005, you had Hurricane Katrina. 2007, just 13 years ago, the iPhone was introduced. Changes a lot of things after 2007. 2008, the U.S. housing market crashes. The U.S. economy enters a recession. 2013, there's another government shut down. And then, just so we remember, this year, COVID-19. Unlike really anything anyone has seen, at least I haven't met anyone that has ever seen anything like this. That's a lot. That's a lot happening over 73 years. That's a lot of shifts. That's a lot of changes. That's a lot of instability. And yet, in the middle of all that instability, this church has been stable. This church has been a rock. This church has had rootedness in this community. And so that's what I want to explore. I want to talk about, just for the next few minutes, about rooted, being rooted, having an anchor, building on a rock. And Because that's what I think about when I think about this church. Because in a world that's constantly changing and shifting, in a world where your life can be upended in moments, 
I want to go to a church. I want to go be around a bunch of people that have an anchor. Because I need an anchor. I need roots. I need something that won't shift from under my feet. And when I think about that, when I think about this church, when I think about homecoming, when I think about 73 years with a lot of changes, a lot of movement in our national and local history, and then I think about a church that's been this stable, I got two images, two images that come to mind. And that's what I want to talk about. These just two images. We're going to pull them right from Scripture. The first one's going to come from Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he paints a picture of two options for life. Here, here they are. This is the first image. Matthew 7, 24 through 24 through 27, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Well, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, there are two options here. You are going to build. I will build a life. If you are living, you are building a life. And at some point, your foundation will get exposed. And Jesus here says, it's not going to be good enough just to listen to what I say. It's not like you can just, just read your Bible or go to church you have to then put those things into practice. And this is how anything in regular life works, right? If I spend a lot of time with James Hammock, our electrician at church, and then went out to work on your house, you're going to want to make sure that I actually practice the trade of, a, of an electrician, not just spend a bunch of time with James Hammock. Because if I spend time with James Hammock, who knows what I'm getting in trouble, what, what, you know, what trouble I'm getting into. That could be trouble. You're going to want to make sure I was with James Hammock and he was teaching me to ha how to actually wire a house. If I was not practicing the very things he was teaching me, you don't want me at your house. That's the way anything in life works. That's how all disciplines and trades work. You come alongside someone and you learn how to do what they, what they do. It's the same thing with Jesus. Now, one of the challenges we have is that we've been taught that going to church is really all you need to do. Because that's just the, that's the way you get to heaven. Dallas Willard, you know, one of my dead mentors, he had something to say about this. I want to read you this, this quote from an interview he did uh, before he died. Here's what Willard said. Being a Christian has come to mean going to church and being saved when you die. In the New Testament, discipleship means being an apprentice of Jesus in our daily existence. A disciple then is simply someone who has decided to be with another person in order to become what that person is or to become capable of doing what that person does. That's how it works when you want to be an electrician. It's how it works when you want to build a life that is stable. You get next to Jesus, you listen to what he says, and then you practice that. And it's interesting that when Jesus came back to life and began to teach his disciples on what their next steps were, he gave them this great commission, and in the great commission, he tells them to do that very thing. You go teach people how to do the things that I told you to do. Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, not a literal translation, but a paraphrase, he grabs the sense of what Jesus is telling these disciples in the great commission. I want you to see it. Here's what he says. This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20 in the message. Go out 
and train everyone you meet far near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. You see what Jesus is doing there? Jesus is in the business of getting his students to come close, listen to what he says, and then put them into practice. And when you do that, that's like building your house on a rock. If you decide to listen to Jesus and then never put into practice what he says, that's like building your house on sand. And when storms come, and they will come, they will come from many directions. Some of them will come external. You have no No control. Some of them are because we make silly decisions and we cause our own storm. They come from all over the place, but when those storms hit, your foundation will be exposed. And what I'm saying is that I want to have the kind of life that can weather any storm. If I get diagnosed with cancer today and die on Friday, I want to live a rock-solid life for the next six days founded on Jesus. And I've seen some, some people in our church do just that. I've seen them stay steady and rock solid. And when you have a lot of people in a church that live like that, the church becomes, becomes like the people. And it becomes a stable force for good in a community. It can go 73 years and be rooted. That's what we want. This is an image I carry with me there. So if I just wanted to summarize that image, here's what I'd say. Pretty simple. Learn from Jesus, practice what he says, and repeat. And that that period between says and repeat, there's a lot of failure. A lot of failure. You're going to mess up. You're going to try to do what he says. You're going to be training in the way of Jesus, then you're going to mess up. And then he's, you're going to ask for forgiveness. He's going to pick you up with his grace, and you're going to learn to keep trusting him, and then you're going to learn, what he, uh, you're going to learn from him. You're going to practice what he says, and then repeat. That's the goal here. That's the image. And that's how you get a life built on a rock. You cannot stop all of your storms, but you can control if your, sto- if your house falls over with a great ca- crash or it stands in the middle of the storm. And I want a life that's going to stand in the middle of the storm. So that's one image, the image of a builder and a foundation. All right, second one. This won't surprise you because when I showed up here for five weeks, we cast a vision based on this passage of Scripture. You won't be surprised. All right, here it is. Here's my other vision, uh, the image I have. Psalm 1, Psalm 1, we'll take the whole psalm. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Love the image. And I'm grabbing here out of this psalm that image of a tree planted, roots driving into the ground next to a stream that never stops. And that tree, that tree will always produce good fruit. It will produce fruit just when it needs to because that's what it is. It's a good tree producing good fruit 
with stable roots. That's the image I get here. That's how you get a church for 73 years that is stable because this church has become the kind of church that has its roots deep, 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 not only in the Word of God, but also in the work of the Spirit among its people. And there's another image that comes to mind. When I, when I grab Psalm 1 and that image of a tree with deep roots, I want to grab then that same image that Jeremiah paints. See, the psalmist paints it right here in Psalm 1, but Jeremiah then jumps off that, that painting and he paints his own picture of that same image of a tree and roots and fruit. Love it. And I feel like if we didn't read it, we'd be missing something. Jeremiah 17. Listen to what the Lord says here. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man and draws strength from mere flesh, but whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. That short history of historical highlights from 1947 up to the present has has along that whole timeline moments of drought, moments of stress, stress both in this town and nationally, and some on a global scale. And in the middle of all that, this church has not wavered. Has it has its challenges? Absolutely. But this church has never split. Well, why would that be? Because this church has sent its roots out deep into a stream that never stops. It has, it has uh, built on a strong foundation. Just this week, I looked through three binders of sermons that Clyde, you know, Clyde Wheeler, who was here for over 40 years. And I just, got, I just took three of those binders. There were a whole set of them, but I took three of those. Uh, one from the beginning, middle, and end. And I just flipped through them. And I'm not saying he didn't preach out of any other books of the Bible but the ones that kept showing up as I flipped through were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, he had sermons out of the letters of Paul. He had sermons out of the Psalms. He had some out of some Old Testament books. But primarily, as I flipped through these three books, which represent the beginning of his ministry, the middle, and the end, it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know what that tells me? That Clyde Wheeler put this church in contact with Jesus on a regular basis. And it's no surprise then that this church has been so stable, has been characterized by such rootedness. It has been anchored for all these years. And that's the way we're going to stay. That's the way we're going to stay. Because we're going to stay in contact with Jesus and be a people that is constantly coming in contact with the Word, but then also practicing how to do it. That's the goal here. That's rootedness. Now, there's an actual tree that, I, that, that comes to mind when I think about this second image of what it means to be rooted. It's on Kemp Drive. Walk, walk or run past it quite a lot. It's right near our house, uh, right, right 
outside of, on the street, right outside the cemetery. This is, this is a picture. You see this tree right here? It's a big magnolia tree, and those roots are strong. And they, they expand beyond the trunk. And they go out, and they drive down. And every time I walk past that or run past that tree, I think that's what I want. That's what I want my life to be. So that no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to have the kind of life that can withstand any storm. And that's the image I have. I have the, this image of having a life that is rooted. You know, recently, in the last several weeks, I showed an image of a weed we pulled out of our garden. I don't know if you remember it, but that weed was like five feet tall. I mean, it was, it was a tall weed. Now, don't ask me how that weed got that big in our garden. Don't judge me. But it was a big weed. And when we pulled that weed, you want to know how big the root system was? Five inches. Five inches. You know how much effort it took to pull up a five-foot weed with a five-inch root system? Not much. I don't want a five-inch root system. I want roots that look like this magnolia tree. I want roots that are deep and strong and will withstand anything. And in our current day, where information is always flying and there's always breaking news and literal legal change and political, the political winds constantly shifting, I want a life that is steady. And I'm telling you, I'm not the only one in this town. With the advent of the iPhone just 13 years ago, you now have access to shifting sand all the time. And people yearn for rootedness an anchor stability. You're going to get that with Jesus, and you're going to get it with this church. Now, I'm not saying anything about the other churches. Remember, we are praying for every other church in this town. We love these other churches. I'm just saying something about our church today on homecoming. We can be stable. All right. A lot of this already has a lot of application baked into it, so let's just do a quick run through some application and just drive it to a next step. Here's the first, first piece of application. Let's go to the first piece of application. We'll just, we're going to skip that one because I... Uh, is I'm asking myself this question, am I and are we practicing the way of Jesus? So just sit with that one. Are you really working out the way of Jesus where you live? And where you live is literally where you live. This is not a metaphor. I mean, think about your house, your kitchen, your bedroom, your yard, your town, how do you live? And I think we have to say it has to also apply to our social media presence if you're on social media because that now is a place we can live. How do we live? Are we practicing the way of Jesus? Or are we mean and angry, complain, gossip? Or do we encourage and bless and forgive? Just think of all the options here. Are we practicing? So what I'm asking myself and I'm asking us as a church, are, are we just listening to Jesus or are we doing the way of Jesus? All right, this is the next question. Which way are you, we, moving? Remember, I, I believe we are, we are people living in time and space, which means we are never stagnant. We are always moving in a direction. Our souls never just sit still. And so that means I need to be paying attention to which way I'm moving. This is not reducing your life to heaven and hell. This is looking at the kind of person you're becoming. So here's, let's just put, it, put, like, put a few... Uh, doodles on the slide. 
you got this circle in the middle with Jesus, and you have an arrow pointing up to Jesus and an arrow pointing down away from Jesus. Just that simple. But the image here is one of movement. Are you moving towards Jesus or away from him? Often we get caught in this trap of thinking, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? Well, that, that's a good question. That's not a bad question to think about. But the question you and I need to be thinking about every day in ordinary life is which way are you moving? Who are you becoming? So just think, which way are you moving here? The good thing is that Jesus just doesn't write off people if you're on that, that arrow moving down and away. Jesus is always inviting towards him. But just think about which way are we moving? As a church, which way are we moving? When our church becomes contentious, full of infighting, or maybe there's immorality spreading, poisoning relationships, well, then that might be an indication of which way we're moving. But when we see forgiveness and blessing and encouragement and generosity, well, those are signs that we're moving towards Jesus. So we want to think about that. And then let's, I want to move all of that to a next step. Let's move that to a next step. Something you can do this week, practically, on the ground. Pick one thing Jesus taught and practice it. And in parentheses, let's make sure we remember, this is the way to a steady, rooted life. You are not going to get a steady life by just coming to church all the time. Now, I'm never going to discourage someone from coming to church. I think it's very important, and that is actually part of doing something. But if we just think that walking into the church building and then living however we want through the week, we've missed it. We want to take all of it and bring it into a whole life. So pick one thing. You, so let me give you an example. You know Jesus says to pray for your enemies. Okay, well, I'm imagining some of you have enemies. You may have enemies you don't even know. Some of you, some of you have Joe Biden as your enemy. Well, you need to pray for him. I mean, mean it. You need to pray for him. And some people, they don't like President Trump. And they actually hope he doesn't recover. Well, those people need to pray for his recovery and pray for him. See, that's the way of Jesus. Or maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member. There are many options. You probably have someone you don't like or who has hurt you. Pray for them. You don't even have to feel good about them. Just say, God, would you bless them? You may not even mean it, but your emotions will at some point catch up with your words. It may take years. You begin that. So maybe this week you just, you do that. He said, pray for your enemies, so pray for your enemies. That's what you do. We can all do that. There are a lot of other options. There are a lot of other things Jesus said. I'm giving you one example of how to get that on the ground. The goal for all of this is in a world that is shifting and moving and changing so quick, we stay a steady force for good. You individually have a life that is rooted like a tree planted by streams of water, a life built on the rock. And we as a church do the exact same thing. So that that we look back on these 73 years and we, we celebrate how steady we have been, and then we look forward to 73 more years where we remain just as steady, just as stable. Now, I imagine, looking at all of us, even myself included, in 73 years, none of us are going to be here. But we pray for the generation that will be, if Jesus tarries. And we hope that the next guy standing on the stage can say the exact same thing about their previous 73 years. That's who we want to be. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these images of stability. Thank you for giving us a vision for rootedness, for living with an anchor. Thank you for this church that has been that vision in flesh in this community for 73 years. 
I thank you for all the leaders, all the men and women that have been part of making that happen, those people that built their lives on Jesus. So would you go with us into the next 73 years? And would you start with today? Literally, just work with us this afternoon as we build on a stable foundation. We are thankful for that, and we know that your grace will help us. And we pray that in the one on whom we can build and in whose name we can pray, Jesus the Christ. And together we say, Amen.